great singing. I trust as well that your celebration of the, the Advent was joyous and you were able to gather with family and, um, and to, to celebrate. It is amazing in the passage that we are in today, we are in Psalm 81, that God calls us and warns us in the midst of a celebration. Right? That's, that's rather unusual. Um, but we have an amazing, amazing God. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 81. Turn to Psalm 81. In Psalm 81, he's in inviting us to a celebration. It's in the midst of the celebration that God's people are confronted with their sin, the sin of idolatry. Idolatry is through and through this, the, the book that we have, the collection of books um, called the Bible. Uh, the, the commandment says that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And all of sin is placing something in front of, of God. We tend to think of idolatry in a very pre-modern um, way, a very um, animistic way where you have physical structures of gods or beings that um, people are bowing down to or putting food in front of or sacrificing to. Those are not the idols, per se, of the modern world, although those still very much exist in many, many places in the world. Um, we bow down to other idols. We make other gods our gods. Um, this is where idolatry is um, so deceptive, because it is idolatry is where we depend upon, when we trust in something, for something that God has promised, something or someone or some relationship, or some security, other than God himself. And so what we see in this passage is that through worship, it's actually this celebration that, that God invites his people to, that God calls his people out of deceptive idolatry into hope and provision. In this section of the Psalms, God is calling his people. They are in captivity, and He is bringing them out of captivity, and he's reminding them, of the reason that they were in captivity. He's reminding them of the oppression that's over them, and he's reminding them that he is their only hope. And this morning, that same message is just as relevant for you and I today. God is our only hope, our only hope. And so while this morning, as we look at the psalm, we could press really hard on idolatry, and it would be appropriate to press and define and spend time talking about idolatry. But the psalm seems to press more on God's provision and who he is. When we understand who he is, it draws out that repentance and trust in him. And that's what he's doing in his people. He's reminding his people of who he is and reminding them of their sin. This is written to God's people. Certainly there is the call um, in this passage to those that are not serving God at all. He still is the only hope for salvation. Um, there is judgment on sin. There is um, eternal life. And, and there are only two ways in which we can live. And that is either for God, in which we will live with him forever, or that is under his wrath, in which we will experience hell forever. So certainly in this psalm, um, there is a call to those that are without God. The primary application, though, is to God's people. God's people, who they saw the mighty works of God. They saw the miracles of God, but yet did not remember. 
What they did is they trusted in their own hearts rather than listening to God. So follow along. I'll read the entire psalm for you, and then we'll, we'll look at how it breaks down. The psalm itself is in a typical um, structure. It's in a chiastic structure, which think about an X or an hourglass, and the point of the psalm is in the middle. But it does break down into three sections. So we'll look at it in three sections um, here this morning. Let's, let's uh, read the psalm as we begin this morning. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'll read for you, beginning in Psalm 81. To the choir master, according to Giddeth of Asaph, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the, the sweet lyre with harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of God, of Jacob. He made it a decree of, in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder, the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Here in the psalm, we see the three parts. One, verses one through five, is a call to praise. And then we see a call to salvation um, in the middle. A call to salvation. They said it's, it's a salvation from the oppression of idolatry for those that are God's people. That's the salvation that God is calling his people out of. Certainly, it is a call to all the world to salvation in God. But the psalmist here is calling his people, God's people, out from being oppressed by failure to listen to God. They followed their hearts rather than his word. And then finally, we see a call to hope. A call to hope that God is the one who satisfies us. It's a rather simple psalm in amidst these dark psalms. So let's walk through this. What is very unusual is the way that it begins. Right? You think like if you have a child who is wayward, right? They're doing all kinds of, 
you know, things that you don't want them to do and you're correcting them and you're, you don't, so let's go to Chuck E. Cheese. The kids are like, what? I'm being naughty. I know what's coming. This is not the right tone, right? It's not like, let's have a party. And what God wants to do is call them into his goodness. He also wants them to understand, too, that he is not satisfied with empty celebration, with emptiness of heart. Right? So, he, so they understand, and I hope even as you celebrated Christmas, the bounty of goodness, the psalm says, that we enjoy, however little or much that will be or is, comes from the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Celebration always owes itself to God because he is the giver of good gifts. So we ought to look heavenward when good things happen because it is from God. That's what he wants his people to see. He wants them to leave the emptiness of their selfish celebration and come to an understanding of the fullness of his goodness. So he calls to them, sing aloud to what? God our strength. We get strength from God. Shout for joy to God to the God of Jacob. Shout for joy to the God that's brought you through, the God of promise. Raise a song, sound the tambourine with sweet lyre and with a harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. Now, this is an interesting phrase because um, there are many times in, in the celebration of Israel in which trumpets are blown. Um, here in the passage, though, it's referring to a particular kind of trumpet. Um, a trumpet that's referenced um, in Leviticus 25, 9. Um, it is the shofar. It is the, 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 the trumpet that signifies jubilee. And so it's this trumpet that he's calling to blow. And he says, he gives reason for this. Notice verse 4, verse four begins with a because or for or reason statement. And there's two things. It is a statute for Israel. It is a rule of the God of Jacob. As God laid these things down, he, he actually gave rules for celebration. He gave, the, the, he gave periods of time in which they were to, um, in, in periods of time, over long periods of time, and there was a yearly calendar, and there, there were multiple celebrations in that. But the basic of celebrations is the weekly celebration. And and. He, he gave it as a rule that they would remember the God of Jacob through celebration, through worship. You think about worship, and it's good to have a full auditorium this morning. You think about, we celebrated Jesus' birthday, his advent, his coming. And here, it's, it's Sunday. How, how many people will drive past, how many Christians will drive past churches now to get to their next celebration on Sunday morning and, and not be in church. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't travel on a Sunday. Now, there were actual laws for travel in the Old Testament. There's a reason for that. Um, if your, your calendar is full, if your day is full with all kinds of things, God knows the hearts of mankind, and it will push aside the celebration, the remembrance of the goodness of God. And where will you end? As things get pushed away on the Lord's day, you will end up in idolatry. And so he's made a statute. He's made a rule. I would say that the, 
the Sabbath travel laws in principle still apply to us today. If you're traveling on Sunday, may it always be through the doors of at least a local church. Maybe not this one, but one. Whoever's the travel planner in your home, you get the map out and you're like, okay, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, we're going to be right here. Where's the local church? And be there. Show up. Worship God. Why? Because it's a statute for God's people. It's a rule of God, the God of Jacob. These are God's people. Are not God's people gathered here? Is God not a God who is changeless? Why would we look at the Old Testament and say none of that applies to us? Oh, no, it applies. God draws us into worship because he desires every week to put on display his goodness. As we talked about last week, he draws you into worship because he does miracles in this place. Don't miss them. So God here, in the psalmist in this, this song that is being sung, says, invites into worship and the shofar, the trumpet of jubilee is blown. But then it ends and he says, he, I hear a language I had not known. Most likely this is the language of the Egyptians and this section now moves them back into the Exodus as many of the Psalms do. We saw how the Exodus, um, last, the last time we, we looked at the Psalms, how the Exodus and, and the Red Sea pictured Genesis 3.15 and the parting of the Red Sea and the crushing of the, the head of the serpent. And so oftentimes the psalmist will go back to the Exodus to remind us, to remind God's people uh, of his salvation. And this section speaks of the Exodus. The writer doesn't go in chronological order, um, and that's on purpose. Um, but he speaks of multiple events of the Exodus. He says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hand was freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. So he says, he's, he's speaking of his deliverance even before Israel called out. So it's, it's not chronological, but God's want, God wants you to see something. That even before the, the pain pricked your heart and the calluses were on your hands and oppression was upon you, what, did he done? what has he done? He's already freed you even before you cried out. Do you see how he wants us to, to enter into his goodness? This is our God. This is the God that loves you. He wants you to come into his goodness, why? Because that goodness of who he is and his love for humanity will protect you from idolatry. It will keep your heart secure. It will keep your ears listening. It will not, it will, it will not allow you to give in to the counsel of your heart, but rather to the word of God. He says, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. He's speaking about, so Meribah was both at the beginning, twice um, God provided at, at Meribah. One was at the beginning of the wilderness experience. The other was at the end. And so um, what the psalmist is saying is that 
that God has answered and provided through the whole wilderness experience. And then he says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. Notice the tone. Notice how he's speaking there. He says it. He puts it in words. I'm admonishing you. Right? Right, we ought to sit up now. We've heard about his goodness and his deliverance. And now he gets to the heart of the issue. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel. But if you would listen to me. We have a text. Right? We have a text. And the text is, is meant to be read. It's meant to be read aloud. We're commanded to preach. And so the church has to have big ears. Big ears. Right? This, this is uh, the house of the church. The reformers, one of the reformers said the church is a mouth house. And we are to have big ears. Ears to hear the word of the Lord. And so we are to listen to God. We're to listen to him. We ought to ask ourselves, even as God's people, are we listening to him? God, am I listening to you? Do I take in your word? Is your word the operating system in my life? Am I operating out of your word? Because here's the problem, verse 9. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the sovereign, your God. He's saying there's no other God. But it's a particular sovereign who did what? He rescued you. Brought you out of the land of Egypt. Right? And then the next line, the last line in this admonishment. I see the picture of baby birds. Um, in my house, I have a little office in the front of the house. And then there is this uh, maple tree, one of those weeping maple trees or something. I don't know that. It's a little tiny tree. And so just below the window um, was a robin this past spring and made a nest, two little babies. And that robin, that pair of robins, and myself, we became good friends. Um, In fact, we became good friends with our dog, because our dog would go up and kind of check things out. And and they got used to us. They wouldn't fly away. They would be there. And that robin sat on those eggs, and the, the babies hatched. And through the leaves there, you could see the, the robin coming in. And as soon as that, that mother bird would come in, two little heads would pop out, and they're the ugliest things. Their mouths would come open. You know, it's kind of disgusting. We'll go into that. But they would feed them there, right? Even though that, that picture is, you know, it's, it's, it's an odd picture. I think we can see that kind of thing. How helpless are those baby birds? Utterly defenseless. Cannot feed themselves. Actually have to have their food processed for them. And God says, that's what you're like. And I'm the one who not only saved you, 
But I'm the one who satisfies you. You are helpless. And I'm your only protection and the only one that will satisfy you. So open your mouth wide and I will fill it. The verse 11, but my people did not listen to my voice. They didn't listen. Again, we pause. Are you listening? Some were listening, but he says they would not submit to me. I mean, we're here in church, so we're certainly listening to a certain extent. But the psalmist is saying that the words actually have to be processed. And they actually have to move into our lives in such a way that they begin to work on our heart and our hands. Because what happens next is if we listen but do not submit to the word of God, here's what God does. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. That's the struggle. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful and wicked, that we have wisdom that is earthly, but we need revelation that comes from above. We need to listen to the voice of God and submit to the voice of God. Otherwise, it is our stubborn hearts that rule and reign within us. And then finally, we see a call to hope. Because here, this doesn't end so well. He says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. You think God would be like, okay, I'm done. I'm walking away. Enough of that. That's not what happens. Do you ever wonder why when we sing, when we sing, we sing, oh, 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 oh. How'd I do? Pretty good. Can I be on the team? Oh, they said yes. Why do we sing, oh, 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 oh? Why do we sing that in songs? We see it here in the Psalms. Some people think, oh, we shouldn't sing that. There's no theological content in that. Wait a minute, it's in the Bible. It's an expression of the heart. Read this. When you read this, you, you, you can't help but feel Right? What God wants us to feel, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Here's the heart of God on display for us. You see why he invites us into celebration? Only to turn and admonish us, then to turn to express his heart to us, that he loves, oh, that Israel, my people, oh, that my church would walk in my ways. And how do you walk in his ways? You listen to him. You listen to him. Notice what he will do when we walk in his ways. I would someday subdue the enemies. No, he says, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Just like the baby birds. I'm their protector, I'm their strength. There is no other God. I am the sovereign. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Don't you remember? And I would turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him, and their fate would last forever. Now the psalmist gets real, right? As modern people, we read many of the psalms, especially the imprecatory psalms. We, we covered some of those 
um, in our, uh, some of the imprecatory psalms are Advent psalms, and we covered those on Christmas Eve. This is unusual psalms. Christmas Eve, punch them in the mouth. You know, that's one of those psalms. It's an imprecatory psalm. It's delivering the judgment of God by God. The imprecatory psalms are not psalms that we are meant to pray against our enemies, but they are meant to show the substantial and everlasting judgment of God against those who will not turn and listen. That God's wrath is upon them. And here we see a phrase like that, those who what hate the Lord. Now, they might not act like they hate the Lord, but the Lord knows their heart. And the Lord knows that they're shaking a fist against him. They hate the Lord, would cringe towards him, and their fate would last forever. Psalms, we've got to get serious with our faith, right? As Christians, we ought to, we ought to go, okay, our, our unsaved relatives, our unsaved friends and neighbors, God is a God of love, but in order to be a God of love, he's a God of judgment because he hates sin and he loves holiness. So we need to learn to listen to him and walk in his ways, because there really is judgment. The Advent Psalms, as we looked at, are the, are the coming of the judge. That's what Christmas is about. It's about his justice. His justice is our sin is laid upon him so that we can be forgiven. And know that you can know that you are saved. Know that you're forgiven. And you're here so that the whole world may know that to the ends of the earth, the word of God might go forward. And so he reveals to us once again that there is a fate that would last forever. But notice the contrast as the psalm ends. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with the honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verses 13 and 14, says this. I made him to ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil of the flint, flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flocks, from the fat of the lambs, from the rams and the goats, and from the very finest of wheat, you drank foaming wine made from the blood of grapes. And then it goes on. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock who bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. God says here, and the psalmist reminds the people of Israel that God is the one that in the wilderness miraculously sustained them, fed them in the finest ways from the simplest of things. This psalm, um, in this psalm, I, I cannot help but see how this all points to Jesus. I'm going to take you in closing just on a sh brief 
journey through a couple of passages. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word of God says, And the Word, this Word is Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus who tabernacles, his presence with us. Jesus is is the one that has come among us. He's the one that the word of God speaks to, of whom we need to listen. Turn a few pages over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, in verses 32 through 35, the word of God says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the one who tabernacled among us. He is the grand and great celebration. He's the one that the shofar is blown and jubilee has sprung. Jesus has come. And what is he? He's the one who God is feeding us. He's the bread of life. He's the one that satisfies us from heaven. John 7, just go over a page. John 7, verse 37 Notice it says, on the last day of the great feast, the the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 16. And here we see the trumpet. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of the archangel and the sound of of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will first be raised. This psalm points to Jesus. Today, you are invited into a celebration. A celebration so that you might know of the goodness of God, but also a celebration that that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you might be admonished. It's appropriate this last Sunday of the year, when our minds begin to naturally think of what the next year brings. For us to search our hearts and say, is there anything, is there any other God in the place of God? Have I neglected some of the statutes and commands of God because I'm not listening? 
Am I trusting in my own wisdom and how I view the world? Or am I walking, following, submitting to God himself? Only then will you be satisfied. You'll be satisfied in him. For we know that the judgment is everlasting, but there is a trumpet that will sound. When jubilee from everlasting to everlasting will begin. When Jesus returns. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for this beautiful psalm. We thank you that you correct us with your grace and your goodness. It's not absent of your truth, of your judgment, but you reveal to us your heart. And you say in these moments, oh, that you would turn, listen, submit, walk in my ways, and know my goodness to the full. Lord, I pray that over every single person here in this auditorium, those that are watching from home. Oh, that we would know your goodness because we're listening. Help us to trust in you. And we thank you that you dispel all the darkness, that you've conquered all sin, and that we can be satisfied in you, in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.